Hello and welcome back to Making an Artist. I'm your host, Shanna Schramm, creator, coach, and pottier. Before we get to today's guest, I've got one piece of potty business for you. Life of the Potty Live is back, this time with Glamour Shots. Bang that hair and bring your Aquanet travel size because we get a 90s potty to end all 90s potties. Give us your goth glamour, glitter glamour, Joey Lawrence glamour, Z Cavaricci glamour, you get the idea. Basically, just be your best 90s self. I'll be there fresh off of overplucking my eyebrows and we'll guide you through the 90s night of your wet dreams. Tickets are on sale now in the show notes. I can't wait to see you there. On today's episode, we have writer, podcaster, feminist activist, and PhD candidate, Amelia Ruby. In it, we talk about sleep as a non-negotiable, trusting your community, self-care, and making yourself uncomfortable. Enjoy. Thanks. Cheers. Oh, how are you? I am well. Tired. Yeah. Uh, yes. Which is why we're talking about sleep. Yeah, we're tired. Well. We were talking about how we're tired. I hope you enjoy this red blend. Um, it's from the company Wink. They need to sponsor me because I just dropped them on this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a French blend. I'm into it. It seems great. Yeah, it's I good. No almost nothing about wine except really? that I like it. So um and it's wet. Yes. Like <laughs> It's tasty and wet. Things I like. Yes. Um, but we are going to talk a lot about what you do know, mm-hmm. which is feminism. Yes. Yes. So why don't you tell the folks at home who you are? It already feels like so much pressure. Yes. Um, so I'm Amelia Fruby. Mm-hmm. I am a writer, podcaster, zine maker. Yes. Yes. PhD yes. candidate. What? Teacher, Holy shit. All these Smarty things. pants. Yes. Love it. You're in Chicago. What's your PhD going to be in? It's in philosophy. Oh my God. Now, with an emphasis in feminist theory, my dissertation's on uh, aesthetics or philosophy of art. So, kind of bring everything oh my I God. do has a lot of different like layers, layers. that are we intellectual like that and practical and artistic. Because and that's what life is. It is. Life is not one shade, color, thing, or whatever. Yeah. I was thinking about that this weekend. I was like, or I was like, man, I really am glad people let me be more than one thing. Mm-hmm. Like that, I'm not just a comedian. I'm not just like a girl. Yeah. Right. I get to be, and anybody gets to be, and that's what's great about feminism, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> wrap that up with a bow, and that's the end of the episode. <laughs> we solved Finished, it. Complete. Yeah. Uh, so where did it all start? Where did you, how did, are you from Chicago originally? No, I'm okay. not. Where are you from? So I grew up in North Carolina mm. and I went to college there. I okay. lived uh, in a pretty small town, not as small as small towns get down there. Like okay. I have friends who grew up in towns of 300 people. Cute, it was a town not of like 30,000 people lived in my county when I was living there. So small, but. Is that a tattoo of? This is a cat. Oh, that's a cat. It, from the <laughs> way you just touched yeah. your hair and it oh, looked yeah. like a state. Oh, no. I do have a tattoo that's an outline of all of the United Excellent. States. Oh, right. Because, uh, okay, we're going to talk about that. Yes. So okay. many things. We're going to talk um, about, yeah, I mean, like, we're just going to bounce around yeah. like a little kid in a bouncy house. So, I grew up in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I moved to Chicago five and a half years ago okay. to start grad school. Mm-hmm. When I got here, everything was so different. Yes, it uh, was. Just admit, <laughs> my family's from the Midwest, so okay. I, I have, like, very Midwestern Values and sensibilities I've realized okay. since I've been back here. Ooh. But I, over the past five years, I just started to see how different it is from the South and how, 
And what feminism means in North Carolina is not what it means here in Chicago. And the things that I thought were, like, radical in college, here I'm like, oh. It's par for the course. Yeah. It's less than that, even. It's, like, not even the bare minimum. Really? Can you give an example? This is fascinating. Um, I love it how how geography can change your perspective. Exactly. I mean, that's, like, my whole podcast project is kind of based on that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I went to a small women's college for my undergrad. Mm -hmm. It's formerly a Baptist institution. Cool. We had no women's studies major. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, I never took any classes that talked about feminism. Super neat. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So uh, getting here and then being at at a university, I mean, it has, like, a very robust women's studies program and... Uh, studying gender studies and gender theory and sexuality, which is so par for the course for all of my colleagues and for many of my students. Um, Not all of them. A lot of them come from very small Midwestern towns Mm. as well and Mm. have this sort of shell shock about things that are just the norm. But Mm. where I grew up, that just wasn't the case. I mean, I grew up in a town that didn't have was very, like, religious diversity there was you were either Catholic or Protestant. Oh, or you were actually just, like, one kind, like, whatever, you were Lutheran or Methodist <laughs> or... Um, there was no mosque. There was no synagogue. Um, yeah, same where I'm from. Yeah, so it just blew my mind. I went to a public boarding school for two years. This is a good story. Uh, I went there, started when I was 16. Mm-hmm. One of my friends, I met someone there who was vegan. And until then, <gasps> someone had told me... Shocked. ...that vegans were people who ate food off the ground <laughs> like food that had like right, naturally just, like, died yeah. Like, yeah and that's what I thought vegans were and I spent a really long time that year trying to figure out what this person ate and how they like ate. yeah it was do you know that that I'm pretty yeah. sure that person watched Notting Hill and told you that that lie you remember yes. that part in Notting Hill where she's like I'm yes. I'm, I'm a fruitarian yeah exactly no exactly but it wasn't like it wasn't a practical joke. Someone was like, I wasn't no, just gullible like, and believed it. It was yeah. like they really that was just you, like what the, the internet was. was didn't have Google back then. You yeah, couldn't like no. vet that. You like asked Jeeves if you really wanted to, oh, but God, I was ask not Jeeves. asking Jeeves I what it meant to be. <laughs> I remember um, Jeeves. Yeah, so just all these things like moving from a very small town to a more. My high school was in Durham, North Carolina. I went to college in Raleigh mm-hmm. to a more urban area, thinking I was like super liberal at that point and radicalized. And my family was like, you're so different and you've changed. And then I moved here and like... And they're like, we don't know who you are anymore. Basically. I have heard precisely that. Seriously? Yes. Interesting. Do you have... And you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but do you have an okay relationship with your family now that you've expanded Um, your consciousness more? Yes and no. Mm. I think that my parents are both from big extended families that Mm -hmm. are very just, like, committed to an ideal of family that is loyal and will always be there. So there is this, like, foundation of, like, no one's ever going to... Yeah. Everyone will always take care of each other. Okay. Which Um, is nice. Which is nice. Yeah. But we definitely have incredibly strong disagreements of beliefs and values Mm -hmm. and what the world should look like and how we should move through it. And, I mean, since 2016... Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure the election... It's blown up a lot and... Yeah. I have purposefully, like, it became a kind of political, I don't know if mission or purpose or, uh, my politics became much more vocal and contentious yeah. and I stopped keeping the peace after 2016 yeah. and, and that has definitely challenged a lot of my relationships, but I like to focus on the way it's opened so many others. Exactly. Real quick though, how many turkeys have you thrown? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, for me, none. Although one of my best friends who lives in one of those 300 people towns in North Carolina uh, was just posted a whole lot of Instagram videos of a turkey shoot that she went to. Oh god. Uh, so that's real. But <laughs> I mean, it was like the big thing to do in yeah. the county she lives in. Oh so. yeah. I'm interested though. I am interested in those relationships that have opened up to you because mm-hmm. I'm I'm a big believer in that. The more you are truly becoming yourself, the more you find basically your position in the world, like where you're supposed mm-hmm. to be, who you're supposed to be next to, who's there to communicate and support you. And I think that's like a really beautiful process, mm-hmm. especially being an artist, an activist, a, you know, a PhD candidate. Yeah. Like, like you're investing all these things that reflect how you believe, right? Like you're investing mm-hmm. all this time and energy and effort. So what has that been like? The new relationships that have popped up because of your strengthened values and being more vocal. What comes to mind when you ask that question is less any particular person or people and just more, my word of this year, or my mm-hmm. mantra for this year has mm-hmm. kind of become integration. Ooh, I love that one. Yep, yep, and yep. Talk I, a lot about that in therapy. Yes. <laughs> so necessary. So love necessary. therapy. You gotta integrate. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think because I do so many things the past few years, I've, I've been very fragmented. And and this ties into, like, my different communities, my relationship with my family, like, all these places that have different values. Um, and I was fragmenting myself into mm. each place as opposed to really mm-hmm, mm-hmm, being mm-hmm, able, mm-hmm. I think, to integrate. And be, like, whole. Be whole anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, philosophically, I'm always a little bit torn. Like, I don't know if I believe in an idea of wholeness, but I want an experience where I don't feel fragmented. I think, mm. I think there are a lot of different worlds we live in. I don't know how much you can always bring your whole self to all of them. Uh, like, I don't know if my dad, I will ever be my whole self with my dad or with mm. certain people in my life, but uh, I've been working for myself on how to integrate just my self-perception, which I think is where the only place we can ever start, which is like, how do I think of my philosophy work like in deep connection to my artistic work and deep mm. connection to my activism, as opposed to feeling like I'm constantly moving from one thing to the next and right. never connecting them. And this ties back into your question about those how those relationships have opened because because in the in the way that I've been trusting my community more to mm. see all of these different parts, and I've been bringing more of them to them, mm-hmm. and it's gone really well. So mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. you know, my closer friends in Chicago. I mean, I, I never talk about my PhD work online or in my Instagram life, which is where a lot of my community knows right. about my life. That's how we know each other. It is. It's through the internet. <laughs> We've actually never met. Yep. Until right now. Yeah. And evening. I also want to bring up that like, if you hadn't been stepping into this person and who you are now more mm-hmm. into your beliefs, you wouldn't be here mm-hmm. in the seat right it's now. true. Yeah. So, so yeah, but I found the more that I share those different aspects of myself, I'm always afraid people will like not engage with them or will not be interested. Mm, right. And every time I do something where I'm like, oh, it's going to be too uh-huh. much. This yeah. is the thing that people are going to think is weird. It's always the oh thing my they God. respond and to. You know what you get? You get all, like anytime I post something that's like, you know, like I'm mm-hmm. really, you know, working deep in some, into some vulnerabilities and mm-hmm. like being true and honest and constantly always working to be authentic and like, and our online lives are reflective of that, right? Mm-hmm. And how people will like DM and like, they're like, oh my God, like this thing that you said and just like, oh wow, like this thing that I thought no one would like or love me for is actually yeah. giving relief to other people, mm-hmm. which I think is like, 
kind of the reason behind art, yeah. one, and like philosophy and all these things that you're talking yeah. about, because we just want to be the truth. Like, we just mm-hmm. want the truth. That's all everybody yeah. wants. Yeah. That's not so much a question, more like an observation. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I've had those, those are the experiences I've had too. It's mm-hmm. every time, every time I, I push, not even pushing, or I think I'm pushing, or I'm, right. I'm really feel like I'm doing something vulnerable or stepping out of my norm or my comfort zone with my community is precisely when they show up to be excited about it. Yeah. And the moments when I really like am on autopilot or I'm not paying attention Mm -hmm. or I'm doing something because I'm emulating someone else. Those are the moments that it doesn't work. They can just, they're not like, especially I think doing the work that you do specifically, which is so much because online you can you can do a lot of different things, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can do like the really glossy, like blown out aesthetic photos, and then like mm-hmm. that's not really my jam. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can do that, and there are people that are attracted to that. There mm-hmm. are people that will like follow their two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand followers, whatever. Or you can do like this kind of tiny, delicate work of. Mm-hmm. Being vulnerable and authentic, and then, but the follow, I bet your following is like really hardcore for you. Are they not? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Some of them are. <laughs> right? Yes. Though? There are humans in the world who will identify as members of my fan club. Ah, what do they call themselves? Do they have names? I'm not really, no. They're just. We need to give just, them one. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they, we should, yeah, that's, I have to think about yeah, this. Yeah, you're gonna now. have to, you throw it out to them. Let them, let them name themselves. True. So, Let's talk a little bit about your projects, though, because yeah, yeah I'm like, people listening are probably like, "This is nice." No, what people love this shit. They're they're gonna be like, "Oh my god!" If I'm more truthful and honest with myself in the world, like, what could happen? What can happen? Like, yeah. that's what that's what'll happen. You know, like mm-hmm. you'll find people who are more likely, who are more like you, essentially. Yeah. Hi, do you like what you're hearing? If so, swing on by Patreon.com/backslash Life of the Potty and become a patron. This is a listener-supported podcast, so any amount you can support making an artist with is enough and greatly appreciated. If you can't become a patron right now, please rate, review, and share your favorite episodes so we can keep the conversation going. Thank you and potty. So tell me about everything that you do. Yeah, so right now I think I have two primary creative projects. Mm Mm-hmm. I should say three because my dissertation is one, but that's not a public-facing project. That's maybe it will be someday, one day, but not right now. Right. Um, but primarily, I have a series called Feminist Mantra Mondays. I love that series. Thank BTW. You. Yeah. So it started right before Trump got elected. I think I was mm. I was feeling a mm-hmm. lot of this like mm-hmm. Hillary's the best vibes in the world, and was for them, but also was like. This Let's is super have a commercial dose of reality feminism. Too. And, yeah, 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 I was like, this feminism is a lot is of white, me white feminism. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I started this series to kind of like try to produce at least slightly more thoughtful and intentional feminist rhetoric among like my community. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Trump got elected and then everybody like needed it. Right. It kind of turned from me being like critical of myself and my community to me like providing this kind of emotional self, mm. which was interesting. And I did the series for a year. And then I self-published it as a book. Yes. There's a book called... What was that like, self-publishing? I loved it. It was super easy. um, Because I had been putting these out every Uh Monday for a year, Uh uh I had 52 of them. And the book is called 50 Feminist Mantras. Nobody wants to search through your feed for all of those. No. We want to just open a book. Yeah. Yeah. So I just edited and expanded them and put out a book. 
Um, I'm a big fan of self-publishing. Okay. Congratulations, though, by the way. That's a ball. Like you. that's an ovaryish move. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Instead uh, of waiting for someone else's permission, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't guess I I am an Aries and I am the most impatient person ever. Uh, I have no time to wait for. Something I must to. have a house in Aries or something because I don't wait for anything either. <laughs> like I'm just like I want to do something. Me. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> everybody enjoy it. Like, mm-hmm. So yeah, the book came out at the end of 2017, mm-hmm. coming into 2018. Uh, and at that point, I was not doing the feminist mantras because it had become an obligation. Yeah. It was like, if I didn't post them, I got texts and I was running out of time and I'd, like, like for loving ones from people who really just cared right. about me and wanted to read them. Right. But I needed a break. So I, like, put out the book and was like, here, you can have this for a year. I am not writing mantras again. Right. Uh, and then toward the end of last year, I really started to miss that practice for two reasons. One, I missed having a regular writing practice. Mm, it was not mm, my mm-hmm, dissertation. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. like creative. Yeah, it's basically the antithesis of it. Yeah. Um, so I wanted that for myself, but I was also getting to this place that all of my communities are grappling with right now about like, what is Instagram? How can it feel good? It feels gross a lot of the time. Yeah. And for me, my answer to that was... I'm just going to make it a space where I give something away again. Yeah. I'm going to make it a space you, where you I'm You made doing it a place service. of service. Yeah. Right. So every Monday, like, I get on and, and post a, a mantra, and mm-hmm. some of them are very uh, intense and really thoughtful and very political, and some of them are very much like, right. let's chill yeah. together, because that's important too. Yeah. Some of them are soft. Yeah. Yeah. I like so that. So that's one main project I have mm-hmm. uh, that's really just on my Instagram at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my other big creative project right now is 50 Feminist States, right. which is the podcast that mm-hmm. I crowdfunded and am producing and is coming out in the world all the time. Uh-huh. Not all the time. Right now we're in the middle of season two. Yeah. Whenever this comes out, it will probably be out in the world. It'll come um, out tomorrow. Oh, we are in the middle of season two. <laughs> yep. Uh, so... 50 Feminist States is a, let's see if I know my own tagline. Yeah, give us your logline. Yeah, <laughs> 50 Feminist States is a road-tripping storytelling podcast uh-huh. visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists oh, and love. artists. Oh, I love, yes. About gender justice, yeah. I love gender justice. Yeah. So. Where have you been so far? I have been to, I think, 16 states. Get it. First season is in the Midwest and... Mountain West is apparently what it's called. It's Nebraska, Wyoming, Idaho, oh, okay. Montana, mm-hmm. the Dakotas. They got feminists in Wyoming? Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. That's exactly the question. No, yeah. the first season was fun because I went to all these places that are considered super quote-unquote red states mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. where, I mean, the whole idea behind this project is that feminist work is going to be incredibly different depending on where you live in the U.S. Right. Because... State laws are so specific, and the fights people are fighting in each place are so different. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to, like, dig into these really local mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. Not local in the sense of, like, this one town has some rant. Like, not local in that way, but I'm just like, okay, how... In Nebraska, for instance, like, how are people organizing around reproductive justice? What matters to them there? Right. And some of the people I talked to um, really concerned about birth and home birth because in Nebraska it's illegal to give birth at home. Interesting. And women who give birth at home are rarely prosecuted, but doulas and midwives are. Oh, shit. So you can't really... And they make birth safe at home. They do. My sisters had four home births, yes. so I'm very familiar. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I talked to two doulas and an herbalist mm-hmm. about the work they were doing. And really, they were they were just starting like kind of this grassroots organizing around how to make reproductive justice more right. accessible and available to people who are giving birth in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, they're working on like how to do that so it's not in like a women centric focus, but how to be more inclusive of all genders and mm-hmm. how to understand those experiences in different language. So, so that's just one example. Um, the second season is all in the Northeast of New England. So okay. episodes are out already. From, the colonies. Yeah, the colonies. <laughs> right? So it's so... It's, but it's very different. So different. It is so, I like these giant wide open states to these like tiny old school places. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, and Maine are the ones that are out or just about out. And then we'll also be um, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. New Hampshire. So those are the first two seasons. Um, each of those episodes is, is state-specific, is location-specific, and I always interview one to four-ish people in every state and kind of find a way to tie the work that they're doing together. And it's been really exciting so far. It's so informative. I bet yeah. that, like, what a great resource, too. Like, if you're trying to figure out, like, what's my feminism look like? Like, oh, maybe... Like I like I think listening to that would be super helpful if I was like a little baby feminist like fresh out of my my women's yeah. studies class for the first time you yeah. know yeah it's all and it's still helpful for me like mm-hmm. way past my women's studies class just to like learn I've learned so much yeah. and I am always humbled and honored to speak with the women that I talk to I bet. because they have done mm-hmm. so much work and are so committed to the communities that they serve and to themselves in ways that are really empowering. So yeah, it's been, it's been really, really wonderful work so far. Uh, and hopefully it will continue. I need to, after the season finishes, I need to raise more money and that's fun. Oh it, yeah. <laughs> it's the joy, that's the joy of being an artist is always I know. like finding ways to it support It is kind of fun though in how kind of magical It'll be mm-hmm. like, I know when I'm like crafting something or creating something and I'm like, Hey guys, everybody come. And then you're like, are you coming? And then, <laughs> and then they're like, finally like, yeah, they're coming. And it's just like, Oh wow, this is so fucking cool. And then you, the support that you find from like the weirdest, oddest corners yeah. is amazing. And it, you know, watching that come through, I think is, it's heartening mm-hmm. and it expands your sense of possibility. Yes. But it's also tiring to constantly be in a position of checking the <laughs> the Kickstarter odometer or whatever yeah. it is, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, running the first Kickstarter for this project, was it was so heartening. I mean, my community showed up in full, and I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I think that one thing I'm learning now and struggling with is like how to... People are really excited when things launch mm-hmm. and Keep maintain that. how to maintain excitement, how to, for my audience and for myself, I am very much like Aries is the baby of the Zodiac. I love starting stuff. Some I fresh, love that. New. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Spanking new. Yeah. And I have my like Capricorn rising gets things done for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I have follow through, mm-hmm. but something like this where I'm supposed to go to 50 states, it's going to take years to finish is a little terrifying, but also, I'm writing a dissertation, which takes years to finish. So I try to remind myself I can yeah, do it. It's you're just, logging your miles. It's just, like, 
It's just about showing up. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of 50 states, how on a level, on a scale of like one to 10, how exhausting is traveling (laughs) between all those states and touring essentially? Yeah. So I love travel Mm -hmm. and I love driving. So Mm, good. Oh, you chose a great project. Yes. So this project was one way to try to integrate that into my life more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't find the travel to be exhausting per se because mm-hmm. I really do enjoy it. What I find, what I realized when I did the first two seasons, is that being so open in order to mm-hmm. make an episode about a state when I've only been there for three days, like I really de- demand and have to have this sort of radical openness for myself, like every moment. So. You go on vacation, you know, yes. you kind of like, you go out and you do your things and you feel excited. You like go back to your hotel and you sleep or like you go out to dinner and like, it's very much your world in a new world. This is not a vacation. Yeah. These trips, when I'm going and doing these interviews, I really like have, I it, like I'm completely cracking myself open and yeah. I'm pulling down all of the boundaries and barriers around my world that I have to mm-hmm. truly try to be immersed in spaces. Because when I pitched the project to a lot of people to begin with, a question I got that I thought was completely on point and correct was like, how do you feel like you're going to have like the right or how do you feel entitled to say something about a state when you've only been there for a few days or how can you really, how can you do that responsibly? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one of the ways I've answered that question is, is kind of this radical openness. And so it's everything from like every moment that I'm there, I am, kind of exuding this energy and I'm meeting people and I'm talking to them either doing the formal interviews, which are tiring, or just like being in a coffee shop and trying to make conversation and just really trying to get a sense a sense of a place mm-hmm. and doing that very quickly because I don't have money to be there for two weeks. Right. Um, because this is, you know, crowdfunded and right. grassroots and it's totally. not paid for by like Gimlet or the New York Times or somebody. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's Although really. the New York Times can call you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that's very an open, happy. You're open to that as well. Yeah. I would love to put my podcast on a network that yeah. included any kind of funding. Funding. <laughs> Same. Um, yeah. But yeah. So that, that's really what's tiring to me. It's not the travel or the driving. Right. It's really the like having the being so open. Being and, a conduit. Yeah. Sounds like a con- like you're a conduit, like you're a conduit yes. for these stories and these people to come through you into the airwave. And it is a true joy and mm-hmm. a gift, and mm-hmm. I recognize it as both, but it is also yeah, very tiring. Uh-huh. Being an artist is exhausting. But like sometimes in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. But all, like we we I love how we started talking yeah. about how tired we are and now we're like back, back to, to it. it. <laughs> yeah, like I think I think denying I'm you're tired is literally like the worst. I think denying how you feel about something is like literally the worst thing you could do mm-hmm. for yourself and for the people who are invested in you. As if you're like, no, 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 everything's fine. Like sunshine shoots out of my eyeballs every day when I wake up. And I think that that, I mean, sometimes there is a bit of a slog when it comes to being an artist. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's just this insane energy that, like, you could yeah. live off of for, like, a fucking years, it feels like, right? Yeah. How do you self-care? <laughs> As I open this bottle of wine yeah. and pour you some more wine. Uh, well, we've 
we'll circle all the way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sleep a lot. Yeah. I sleep a lot, too. I love sleeping. I also think we're talking about being tired and sleep because it's like a dark moon right before a new moon. It yeah. is like prime. Right. Everyone's exhausted. It's pr- everybody I've been talking to is very tired. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> lest I give the impression, I always talk about being tired. So I much. don't. Sometimes I am just effervescent. <laughs> yeah. But um, I do sleep. I mean, for me, sleep is a non-negotiable. I don't think people yes. talk about that enough. Yes. Let's, let's take a whole 20 on that. Like... <laughs> Let's yeah. take a nap and just record our snores. <laughs> yeah. Sleep is a non-negotiable. Yeah. I've been, like, I've been really obsessed with rest. I mean, I just did a retreat, right? So I was like, rest is a requirement. Like, mm-hmm. it's a requirement. It's not a reward. It's not something I get to do at the end of, like, a hardworking day. And I grew up in the Midwest, too. And, like, I grew up with, like, two super hard fucking working parents mm-hmm. that, like, I mean, they would just go... I remember I'd be like asleep by the time my mom would get home from work sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, but that doesn't, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. If I'm just like splintered and like completely pulled apart, like there's nothing that can be done there. Like there's no creation, there's no pleasure, there's no joy. Yeah. So having a consistent rest practice. Yeah. And getting like a cool eight minimum. Yeah. <laughs> the six hour bullshit that science <laughs> says is okay. Like I do not know. I need I need like eight to nine usually. Yeah. To like be soups or like be functional. Yeah, that's the dream. Yeah. It is also my reality a lot of the time. But asleep to me has always been something where like it's non negotiable in the sense that I make it non negotiable, but also just like my body demands it in yeah. a way that it doesn't demand a lot of my other self care practices like mm. baths or and there are other things I'm really bad about, like drinking water. Like I mm. but sleep is I, I can't, it's not that I won't function. I'm just going to go to sleep. I've been this way for a long time. I remember in high school, my roommate and I, the two years I was in boarding school, like we slept more than anyone else in our like hall because we went to this, inc- it was like a magnet, super inte- intellectual, mm-hmm. overachiever school. Everyone stayed up all night and did work. And both of us up to 10 every night were like, cool, going to bed. <laughs> gonna stay in bed until like three minutes before class because I can walk down the hall and then gonna come back from class and get back in bed like I've just always been like that want more potty in your life head on over to lifeofthepotty.com and sign up to receive the potty report it's a super fun newsletter that will keep you knee deep in potty knowledge and goings on we've always got fun things in the works and you're invited to all of it I really think sleep and meditation are the only ways your brain can heal itself and mm. it needs healing as much as anything else yeah. in your body does. We don't pay enough attention to healing our brains. We don't pay enough, enough attention to healing. That's true. Like, in, so I'm actually really bad. Like, I, I've worked very hard to become a better sleeper. Mm-hmm. Um, once I kind of stepped fully into, like, coaching work and, like, doing this and what I do, like, um, and letting go of other things that were bringing me a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. I slept like the dead. Yeah. Like I like start. I was cranking like ten hours a night. Like, like yeah. it was just this amount of rest that my body needed. And at first, I was really judgmental about it. And I was like, "Oh no, I gotta get up and like." And I was like, "Actually, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I can schedule clients whenever I want." Like, and it was like the judgment of my sleep patterns was yeah dumb and wrecking everything and then once I let go of that I was like okay it's fine like yeah because if we were talking before like if you tell people that you've like taken a nap a lot of people 
will have some feelings about that. They will. Some very negative feelings. And it's like, yeah. you can sleep too, friend. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. a choice. It's an active choice. And like you said, it heals your brain. It like, mm-hmm. I mean... I don't want, now I'm up, I'm up on a tangent. Like, I'm rambling. <laughs> <I know. laughs> just love talking about, about sleep all I the time. I just love talking about things that are good for you because I feel like in our, this patriarchal white supremacist society that we have mm-hmm. going on here, like, first of all, there's a lot going on about like rest and sleep that you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to be on your grind and you're supposed to be like hustling, hustling and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, for who? For money, for capitalism, <laughs> for the benefit of the upper class. Yeah. I don't belong to the upper class. <laughs> Me neither. Me neither. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, too, it just comes back to what I say to my students all the time. Capitalism takes over everything. A lot of really smart people are writing right now about how capitalism is taking over self-care, how it's being commodified. Yeah, absolutely. And so when somebody asks me about self-care... What I want to say is that I sleep and I try to drink water, which is something I'm bad at. And I, my partner makes me real meals so that I eat and I eat them. Yes. (laughs) Um, Like that's my self-care practice. It's not elaborate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It doesn't cost a ton of money. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It doesn't. It is luxurious in the sense of it feels luxurious to me, but also like I can recognize that clean water and wholesome food and eight hour, eight to 10 hours a night of sleep are luxuries. Uh-huh. I don't want to discount that, nope. but they don't require me to spend a lot of money. And that doesn't mean I don't love to do a sheet mask. So actually, no, I hate sheet masks. I like face masks. Right. <laughs> I love to do a face mask. I take a bath or something sometimes too. But I think that, that we forget that the, it's the practices mm-hmm. and these like very basic bodily needs that we have that are self-care well because we're so good we've been taught to ignore them yeah too um we had i had deanna myers on uh several episodes ago and she had a great quote about this she was like sometimes self-care is just parenting yourself really well Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh that's so good and it's free like (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like saying no when you can't you know when you don't have the energy to like go out or Mm-hmm. Meet somebody else's needs or whatever. Anyway. Yeah. That is like, to me, that's like the anti-capitalist self-care. Yeah. Right? Is when you're taking care of your true needs, your true self. And yes, it is a privilege to have the time and the space and the materials in which to do so. Yeah. I think one thing I've been having a lot of conversations with my communities about as well is convenience and mm-hmm. the value of convenience. And I'm really coming around to thinking that convenience is not valuable. Um, and I want to contrast it with something like ease. And so I think mm. the things were sold to be self-care, like face masks and bottles of wine. And the, like they're convenient and they mm-hmm. are conveniences and they make things feel more convenient in our lives. Mm. But they don't give us that more lasting sense of ease. There are mm. ways that you can make even the busiest, hardest days feel, feel. Mm-hmm. easy, mm-hmm. Like feel imbued with ease. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't come from you know, the conveniences were sold and fast food and fast fashion and right. Amazon and Netflix and everything is quote unquote easier than ever, but it's just more convenient. And so I'm, I've been really working on this question. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Like, what is ease and how do I bring more of it into my mm-hmm. life? Um, mm-hmm. 
partially because these conveniences are kind of wrecking the world. Um, yes. And I'm trying to grapple with that more, more mm-hmm. too. But I think this relates to self-care. I think that these like basic practices like of drinking water and sleeping and not going out or stay, like staying in. Well, that'll make your life feel your more eat at ease. Yeah. It, it'll bring down your anxiety levels. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a million things. I mean, there's several things that that helps yeah. with to create ease in the life. Yeah. yeah. Cause like, yeah, I'm just, I'm like, I've been obsessed with like neuroscience lately mm-hmm. and I'm just always thinking about like, yeah, when you talk to somebody that you care about and their voice and it creates oxytocin and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes you feel at ease, right? Yeah. When you go to somebody's house who you truly care about and you like hug them for 20 seconds, you know, there's yeah. a sense there as opposed to ordering a million things online and having them show up or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm, I like that conversation. Yeah, it's a good one. You're and smart. It... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, I always, that's always my, it's one of like my Achilles heels. I think since I've been a kid, I've been very smart and I learned to deny it all the time because I'm a woman and because I was always the smartest person in my classes and didn't Ooh. know how to own that. And now when people say it to me, I still have that like eight year old me reaction. Ooh, right. Um, which is kind of a side point because where I wanted to go with that was... Oh, um, related. This conversation of rejecting convenience is people are allergic to it. Not everybody likes it. Sometimes people, I think, feel like I'm coming at them when I'm like, you need to cancel Amazon Prime and you should stop, (laughs) like, engaging in these, like, economies that we all know exploit laborers. But I'm really interested in the way so many people are also starting to recognize that and come around to it. And I think that's very related to feminism to a feminist understanding of economics but also just to the ways that feminism does the same thing like it'll make you bristle you're gonna have to ask really Mm. hard questions of yourself and your world Mm. and you're gonna have to change how you do things and that sucks sometimes like a lot (laughs) um uh, yeah yeah i'm thinking of it i'm thinking more of my from like my um I don't know, like awakening self where I like Mm -hmm. had to stop engaging in like toxic relationships Mm -hmm. for myself. Right. It's, I mean, it's all the same thing. You can blare it over anything. Right. Like if you want to live your feminist values, like, yeah, you got to like treat people fairly. And yeah, I mean, I think kind of my, if I think back to like my trajectory with it is like at first it felt very empowering. Mm. Um, I needed that to be able to be like, I am smart and say that and own that like feels really good. Mm -hmm. And that comes through like a feminist analysis of my life and my past. Mm -hmm. But I think once you kind of get into that and you really start to own it, then you get to these hard questions and you have to really be like, am I going to live in alignment with these values? Mm -hmm. And frankly, a lot of people's answer is no. And that's what frustrates me about the commercialization of feminism and mm. and the way that it mm-hmm. is taken up as a word without any substance behind it mm-hmm. and action yeah. or positive action, I should say, because mm-hmm. people are selling and buying things behind the name of feminism. Yeah. But who's that benefiting? Yeah. I mean, it's like, so Bell Hooks says like feminism is not, is something I do, not something I am. Mm. And well, I think I'm paraphrasing. I am paraphrasing, but right. that's what she's getting at. That's like, a gist. Femi- it's you have like you enact feminist politics. She's kind of pushing it. Like, what does it even mean to say I am a feminist? Like mm. that phrase is something that you have to be doing and living up to in the world. And 
what I try to do is bring that to my communities in ways that are manageable and don't feel overwhelming. Like you need to, I mean, there are days when I'm like, should I need to go move out into the woods? Right, right, and right. And like also just bring all of the starving children with me and also then shit, like I shouldn't infantilize children and decide to save like and have this savior complex about it. And then also like, like it just builds out from yeah, there yeah, and I'm yeah. like, there's no winning. But um, I, th- I think, it, I think making it approachable and digestible mm-hmm. is start small. Like yeah. asking people to do the smallest possible thing mm-hmm. that they could do. I think that's how you, I think that's how you just basically like retrain your brain anyway, yeah. right? You know, like from a, a neuro standpoint, like you start to like, oh, well, I had this positive experience pull, you know, divesting from this negative, mm-hmm. you know, capitalistic company or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, maybe I'll try another one or I'll get a friend to come along and it's just it's very small. Yeah, it definitely is. I think the only thing I'd say to that too though is it's not always going to feel positive. I think that oh yeah, <laughs> it's like like and I I I really like the work of a philosopher and writer named Sarah Ahmed who mm-hmm. wrote this book recently called Living a Feminist Life and she talks a lot about like uh, how being in solidarity with oppressed communities is really about making yourself uncomfortable and like mm. bringing a lot of discomfort into your life mm. and I think about that a lot when I'm thinking about my politics and how I choose to be in the world that like it is, it would be so easy, so convenient for Mm. me to make my life like comfortable. Like that's what my parents have been doing. It's what my family does. It's like, I could very, I have access to all of that. Like I could go get a semi fancy nine to five and have insurance and have a retirement plan and live this like (laughs) life. It's there. But I had one. Yeah. Yeah. So you can. It do was that. not comfortable though. Well, because my I was too. That I became too uncomfortable in that. Exactly, and I think for some, and that's what happens. Like your mm-hmm. yourself is it like can't be in alignment with mm-hmm. that, and so you have to leave it. Yeah. Um. But I think I'm thinking more on just a level of like, like a societal level. Like I could slip it. I don't think me the my psyche could do it, but me the person who like has all my identities in the world. Could totally just, like, go do that and be, like, constantly comfortable and told by the world that I was doing the right things and I'm normal and I'm good and I'm going to, like, be rewarded for that with, like, a stable middle-class income and whatever. I don't know. Two kids in a house. Yeah. I, whatever. <laughs> um, but for me, like, where the feminist politics come in is always that, like, challenge to make yourself uncomfortable. And... So I'm always trying to like open conversations in a way where we can kind of get there, but not make sure people don't feel attacked because that's when everybody right, shuts down. Right, that people shut down. Yeah, because your fight or flight will come in. Yeah, and you're gonna be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I agree with because I don't. It's not about letting somebody get away with anything, but it is about creating an opening. Kind of what you were talking. You, you mm-hmm. know, creating an opening where you can have a conversation. Because if you're just, like, lobbing accusations and telling people they're wrong, even though they are wrong, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's going to get you nowhere. It's, it's just going to inflate your ego. Yeah. And make you walk. You're both going to walk away having yeah. done and served no thing. Yeah. And, I mean, I think that's really, really where I see the work of my podcast Mm. is that I have really good relationships with 
really radical activists in the world whose work I admire and who have taught me so much about feminist politics and about justice. Mm -hmm. And I'm able to go talk to them and learn from them and then kind of present that work in a way where people can hear it. And a lot of my friends who are doing that work, like, they don't want to have conversations with, frankly, some of the, like, borderline fascist people that are in the, like, edges of my communities that'll listen to my podcast. Uh And they shouldn't have to. Like, they're working with people who... They're working with communities who, like, need so much, and they're, I don't want to say on the front line sounds bad, but, like, they are in the grassroots part of grassroots activism, Mm -hmm. doing such good work. They don't need to be the people that step out and try to reach this, like, you know, white woman voter block that's been so maligned. No, that's your job, honey. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah, that's where I see my work. That's our job as white ladies. What I love about art is I think really good art just does this work, too. Mm -hmm. Really, like... I like what you said before about you can kind of take these small steps. You can change things a little bit at a time. But what a really good piece of art does is just, like, totally break you open. Mm. And sometimes you end up feeling, I think, like, equally destitute and transcendent. Yeah. That, to me, is... Yeah, you can hold both those truths at the same yeah. time. That's pretty special. It is. I love it. So, And I think it's different for like lots of people. Like, watch a documentary about food and suddenly like change everything about their life like something will break you open and I think that um good art breaks people open it does yeah and that's important oh it is important cheers to that cheers to that (laughs) I think coming back to you know kind of who I see my work serving and it really being this kind of group of women who not just women, I should say, a group of humans mm-hmm. who identify as feminist mm-hmm. or want to or are interested in that process. Mm-hmm. Some of them have been feminists for a long time but are trying to learn more about like causes and issues that are important now and some of them are really just starting to ask these questions. And I think that the important things are to remember is that there is space for everyone but that we have to be able to hold conflict among us mm. and with each mm. other. Yes. If the most dangerous place to be is in a place where you never experience conflict and people think that conflict is what's dangerous, but it's, it's not like it's, it's actually sameness. Difference is productive and creative and beautiful and wonderful. When all you do is talk to people who agree with you Mm. and you have all of these like, yes, people around you, it's not when you're going to be the best version of yourself. Mm. And that is true of society as well. So I think that if people who are coming to feminism can keep that in mind and can really open themselves to productive, creative difference, that's what we need to move forward with. Productive, creative difference. I love that. Yeah. Productive, creative difference. Yeah. Also just go read a whole lot of Audre Lorde. Yeah. Oh my God. Start there. Yeah. Yeah, You'll be fine. Yeah. She's a good one. (laughs) Uh, So where can folks find you? You can find me on Instagram Mm -hmm. at Lady Amelia. uh, So L-A-D-Y-A-M-E-L-I-A-A. And I'll link to that in show notes. Yes. Um, And then you can listen to the podcast at 50feministdates.com. Okay. We'll link to that as well. And you can find the rest of my work at ameliafruby.com. Cool. And uh, you'll be having a Kickstarter come out soon. Can people just send you money in the meantime? Yes, there is a donation page. Yes, get that money. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, on the 50 Feminist States 
website. There's a donation page. Uh, I have t-shirts and all sorts of other Love things. Love it. Also, your graphic for 50 Feminist is states is adorable. I want to wear it on my titties. Thank you. Yeah, uh, That was designed by my friend Emily Jones. It's really, really pretty. She it's is really the cool. best. She mm-hmm. also did the cover for my book, 50 Feminist Mantras. Right. Uh, you can hire her to do amazing graphic design I'm for you. I'm obsessed with hiring folks, yeah. like artists and getting people paid. That's like, yes. it's something that I'm I'm very rabid about. Yeah. So it's the <laughs> best. anybody with money out there <laughs> wants yes. to pay people. Hire her, hire us. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank it's you been for a having pleasure. me. And now everyone that comes on has to say potty when we end. <laughs> I listened to this so many times today. I was like, why is she talking about potties? But, uh, yes, potty. Potty. Well, that's it, folks. Episode music by Linen Bone at soundandpatternsmusic.com. Podcast art by Jessica Savage. Editing and mixing by yours truly. And to find out more, visit lifeofthepotty.com. Thanks for listening. And as my dad would say, talk at you later. <laughs> <laughs>